This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. Hi, this is John Weir, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. So a huge thank you to John Weir for introducing the 132nd and final edition of the Tennis Podcast in 2019. John is one of our biggest backers, has been over the last couple of years with his wife Leah. We're hugely grateful to them for their support, as we are to all of you who've pitched into our Kickstarter to crowdfund 2020. We've had more than 70% success so far in trying to fund next year. Still some way to go for us, but we can't thank you enough. It really has been incredible to see the reaction. More than 800 people, as I speak to you, have, have got behind the show and uh, and contributed at various different levels. And you can continue to do so. If you want to go to kickstarter.com, search Tennis Podcast 2020, and you'll be able to find us there. Or we, we have the link as well in our show notes on your phone right now. If you want to just uh, uh, scroll down uh, and, and have a look on there, you can back us uh, to as much or as little as you, you've deemed fit uh i should say as well a bit of news since last week our accreditations for Catherine and matt have both been uh, confirmed for the australian open as have their visas so we are going and we can't wait to bring you daily editions of the tennis podcast in 2020 starting with the australian open of course we've had a, a facetime chat uh, a meeting a few days ago the the ideas are flying around between the three of us at the moment and uh yeah we, we can't wait to get started a little break after this show uh but yeah christmas new year then let's get started anyway first of all though our final edition of 2020 is a big interview and it is with marcus bagdatis who called time on his career earlier on this year and Whenever I think of the Australian Open of 2006, I think of Marcus, probably more so than Roger Federer, who actually won the title, probably more so than Amelie Moresmo, even though she won her, her first ever Grand Slam singles title by beating Justine Enan, who retired in the final. I feel a bit bad about that, but but that's just the way it is. Bagdatis was the defining picture, image of that particular tournament, and when I saw him at the O2 a few weeks ago, which is where we, we conducted this interview, he was covering the ATP finals as a commentator, and he was doing so for Greek television. Obviously, Stefanos Tsitsipas, a huge part of that tournament. And I saw Marcus walking around. I'd known him over the last 15 years when he'd been around on the tennis circuit, but only very vaguely. I'd only known him from afar. I'd interviewed him once or twice for BBC Radio, said hello, you know, if he passed in the corridor, but we didn't know each other particularly. But what really struck me when I saw him at the O2 was just how warm he was, not just to me, but to, to pretty much everybody he came into contact with. You know, a lot of players retire and they may join the media. They might not necessarily hang out with the media or go in the media restaurant or in the media workroom. And he did. And he, he seemed to think nothing of that, which 
is kind of how it, how I feel it should be. Why why shouldn't you be able to be open with people and as long as they treat you decently as well, give them the same back. But the way he behaved really made me feel actually he he wouldn't mind an approach from somebody you didn't know that well asking for an interview and that's that's exactly what I did and he couldn't have been more accommodating and helpful to to make time for it we we met on the final day of the tournament when Sitsipas was about to take on Dominic team in the final we we met shortly before that we we had some some crowd noise to deal with and so, so you know we were in the the O2 so so you have a few bits of noise but we tried to make it the very best we could we stopped halfway through in order to to move and, and and find a better place to do the interview but i think i think the the results you will probably agree are really worth it he, he's just such an interesting guy to listen to i should also say that since we spoke the news has come out that elena svitolina has hired marcus as her coach uh, or at least to join her coaching team alongside andrew bettles now i knew this was coming because just as I pressed stop on the recorder of our interview, Marcus told me that he was going to be back in tennis very soon, coaching Alina Svitolina. But he, he asked me not to, to let on because it hadn't been announced yet. And, well, I, I talked to him about it off air. I'll tell you about all that after you listen to this interview. But obviously, you know, I, I kept my promise. And uh, and it's it's an interesting development. I'll tell you about it more in a moment. But first of all, Here's the conversation with Marcus Bagdatis. Marcus, it's so lovely to see you <laughs> here at the O2 Arena where we're sitting right now overlooking the court on which you stood yesterday with all of your contemporaries, people that you played for many, many years with, all of you who'd had long, illustrious, incredibly detailed and passionate careers, and all of you were calling the end. The end, yes. I mean, first of all, I mean... They're my friends. I mean, it's funny because yesterday we had some chats and it's the first time, you know, with... Uh, I mean, with m most of the people I had chats about their lives, but with some not, you know. And, you know, to sit down with them on the boat and chat about other things and more relaxed way and, you know, just talk about life and how he played and how, you know, about his career and... You know, it's it's a different kind of uh, talk you have with people, and I think I find it interesting and fun, and uh, and uh, you know, I think we can even get closer with the ex-players because of that. You know, yeah. there's not no more the competition that we used to have, and you can talk about different things about and wish them different nice things about their life, and it's it's really interesting and very very beautiful to to have experienced. Yeah. You, you say we, we could talk about different things, and we really could. I mean, we could spend hours talking about the last 20 years of your life, but we've only got a certain amount of time because they're going to start the finals day here and the noise will start. And I, and I just I want to talk to you about the first time. I mean, I saw you play as a junior, yes. but I remember 2006, as I'm sure you do, more than anything, really. And just that that Australian Open to start with because when we arrived in Australia nobody was talking about Marcus Bagdatis yes but uh, everybody was when they left yes no for sure I mean that was the highlight of my career a lot of people talk start talking to about me uh, back then I mean and I like it when you remind it to me because that's the emotions I dream of ha of having as a as a young kid you know and uh, it's the connection that I had with the fans, with the people, and I think that's the best gift anybody can ask for, you know, as a young kid. And uh, to be able to experience that was unbelievable. At that level, you know, at that point, at that um, uh, emotional uh, place, you know, to, to have been able to be there, it, it was something very special for me in my life. Of course, everybody talks about that, but I had other great uh, matches or tournaments before that and after that. But, you know, to the people's eyes and, and, and uh, how you say, uh, to the people's eyes, that was the, the, the big moment for, with my name uh, yeah. in it. So, so, yeah, I mean, but I had other great moments. Like you said, it's 20 years career. It's not just 
one yep. one one uh, grand slam we'll talk about some of those moments as well in this in this podcast but when i was there in in 06 i remember you beat roddick yes i remember you beat Ivan Lubicic, incredibly passionate crowds on both sides. Yes. And then you beat David Nalbandian. And I was watching some of the highlights back today to remind myself of that match. I commentated on that match for the BBC oh, nice. radio yeah. team at the time. And the, the shock in all of our voices as you were doing what you were doing, how did it happen? How did this run happen? Because I know you'd had good results before, but it's still a big difference to what you ended up going on to do. Yes, definitely, and and I think in people eye in people's eyes, it's it's the talent, it's you know, it's the hard work. Of course, that's part of it, but I think the love and the the heart and the passion of the sport is what made me achieve what I achieved that tournament. I think I was fearless. I I, I had a dream uh, was to win a Grand Slam. I got so close to that dream and yeah I mean it's it's just amazing to again to remind me of that but it, I think I achieved because of the the heart I had I gave it all out there in every single match I played especially the match against Nalbandian I was two sets to love down and I found the extra energy power will whatever you can call it to come back and use the crowd and and make it like a roller coaster match you know he was up then i was up then he went back up but uh, i was to love up then he went four two up in the fifth and then came back and and also i remember so well when i was serving for the match there was this rain <laughs> rain and coming you, you put your hands out wide yes. and looked up into the sky and you know what i said exactly i remember my exact words because i had so many challenges in my life and I told whoever's up there, thank you for giving me this extra challenge, you know, that I have to get through it, and I will get through it. And, and I remember very well going back into the locker rooms after that train delay, and I, I, I sat on the bike to keep moving my legs, you know, because if you stop at that moment moving, I think you start cramping, you start feeling a lot of uh, stiffness on your legs and, and, and on, on your body. And my coach came in and I told him, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, I was a bit lost and he told me, continue what you're doing and he should be worried. And that gave me so much freedom and confidence that was amazing and that helped me get through to that game, get through that game and, and win the match and have the most unbelievable feeling I ever had in my in, on a tennis court. And I remember you, you, you mentioned the crowd, you, you used the crowd. I don't think, I don't think anywhere has seen a crowd like that before. I mean, yes, in Davis Cup, but yes. I mean, your fans in Australia, and you talk about Australia and the love that you feel and the way that inspired you, and a lot of your moments came at the Australian Open, but that crowd was, was extraordinary. And I remember you would, you would sort of meet them afterwards as well, wouldn't you? Yes, because they, they gave me so much joy, so much emotions on the court. And I'm a person that I, I believe that uh, it's, it's good to give back. You know, it's not only taking, it's giving also. And, and I, I learned that, I guess, from my mom, I guess, because she's kind of that person. She gave a lot to, to families in Cyprus before I became somebody. And he, she taught me some, I mean, that way and... And I think I have that from my mom and a very emotional person. And I, I like to connect with people. I like to give back. I like to receive also, which is normal. Uh, it's a give and take thing. But, you know, for me, to what I take is I, I learn from people. I learn from discussions. I learn from talking to different kind of, of people. And, and that's a, a great gift to have. You played Roger Federer in the final, who was at the time... He felt unbeatable. He he was he was losing five matches a year at that point, and you led him by a set and a break and double break point at two love fifteen forty on his serve. I remember very well, and sometimes I I don't regret, but I wish I had found a way to win because I could have felt even an ex much more extraordinary emotion. But yes, I mean Roger, I was unfortunate. 
I think in that way to be to have Roger at that time you know uh, I think if 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 you know it was maybe a, a less experienced Roger you know you understand what I'm trying I would I would maybe find a way to win but he 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 knew how to deal with these moments and he dealt it better than me and uh, it was unfortunate for me but well how did you, how did you go up a break a set and a break and how did it change okay uh, when I I lost to him earlier in Doha that year so we're talking about two weeks yeah. beforehand six four six four and and I kind of saw what I need to do and I told my coach next time I play him I'm gonna beat him so I went in the match with a clear mind and the my goal, my objective on that match was to aggress him as much as possible. So I started very aggressive, uh, being patient on the points that it's important to be patient. For example, I know that Roger on a 30-all, he's more, when it's tight, you know, he, he's more able to make a mistake than when he's up. Yeah. So was to take Roger at that point at a 30-old stage and then start to be very consistent then, you know, not to give him rhythm at that point and then when it comes to that point to start, you know, make him play more and make him try to do something. And then, honestly, the the, the big difference was at 6-5 for Roger in the second set where I was serving and I was 40-love up on my serve. I had a three game point to go to a tie break and I saw me winning unfortunately I saw myself winning and when you get to that stage I think you hurry you want it faster what 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 did it look like you winning what were you what was in your mind I I realized what's going on you you realized that, that did you imagine the trophy yes I realized that where I am you know I realize what's going on with who am I competing and and I made some mistakes on that game I made two double faults if I remember well and maybe three on that service game I let him come back he won the set and from that moment I was mentally killed I I, I saw in a few seconds that I I am about to win and then everything disappeared and everything went after so fast. I, I couldn't, I couldn't handle the pressure. I mean, to be honest, which that is, the the, um, the key of winning those matches. And probably normal. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. You can call it normal. And yeah, and that was it. I mean, that was it. And uh, yeah. what was uh, what was life like for you around that point? Because I, I remember seeing a, a tweet from Stephanus. Sitsipas from Australia after he reached the semi-finals and he said Melbourne I love you but please for one day just leave me alone Yeah, and I just wondered what it was like for you at that point I was loving it for sure I, I mean I was loving it I, I, I couldn't ask them to leave them alone because I put them in that situation <laughs> so I mean it's a nice feeling I think you should embrace it leave it and I mean uh, live with it as a proud moment and uh, and you know try to try to live it as much as possible you know be in it as much as possible it was an incredible year 2006 the rest of it because you you went all the way to the semi-finals of Wimbledon you beat Leighton Hewitt who'd won the title you beat Andy Murray. I mean, a young Andy Murray, but he beat but, Roddick before yeah, bef- a, the match before. A yes. very good Andy Murray, and you played Rafael Nadal. Um, was was your tennis at that point the best of your career? Generally, I, I know you had your, the best results of your career, but was that your best tennis that year? Yes, I think I was fearless. No injuries. I didn't have any injury problems. I, I mean, yes, I was playing the most aggressive tennis, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, yes, it was my best, my best tennis, I think. And you went on to the U.S. Open that year and had that match with Andre Agassi, which I, I don't think anybody who saw that will ever forget it. Um, Andre wrote about it a lot in his book. 
he he talked about the physical state you were both in in the locker room afterwards and you both looked like you were gonna need to be carried out um he was more in that stage than me but yeah <laughs> you were cramping yes i was cramping yes <laughs> Uh, of course, because the next round he, he ended up uh, yes, losing to, was, to Benjamin yeah. Becker. Uh, what, mean, what do you remember from seeing him in the locker room that time? I mean, Steffi Graf came in and everybody was hugging each other, you know. I mean, it was, I think it was a great match for tennis. Andre was my idol. I mean, an inspiration to my game and to. To a lot of kids, I guess, but especially to me. And uh, I watched the first match I ever watched on TV in Cyprus was the final against Ivanisevic in Wimbledon, which he won. I remember, you know, the the hats they made with the hair, long hair. I had a bunch of them. I told my godmother to change my name to Agassi. You know, uh, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that uh, that made me love. Andre and I think it was an honor to be able to, let's say, be the loser of his. I mean, being uh, he being the last match win was yeah. against me. So and a great match too. Yes, yes. Did you? You said you idolised him. Did you ever copy him at all? Because I always used to look at your game, and I used to, I always, it always used to make me think of a young Andre Agassi. The way you struck the ball, the way you moved. Yes, I, I I copied him not, but when you idolize somebody like that, and you unconsciously you will copy him. So because you learn from him the way he plays, because you look at him, and you kind of copy his his patterns, his not his technique fully, but you know the way he takes it on the rise, the way he he hits the ball, and. Uh, yeah, so I can say yes. I I copied him unconsciously. Yes. Did you after two thousand and six? I mean, you had some amazing wins. You beat Roger Federer. You beat Rafael Nadal. You were a factor at, at big tournaments, but you didn't have as spectacular results as you did in two thousand and six. I know you had a lot of injuries, but what would you put it down to that maybe you didn't? Well, you didn't reach another Grand Slam final, for instance. First of all, I think I played in an era where we are talking about three, four guys, maybe five. I mean, let's say if you take out Vavrinka, who won three Grand Slams, and, and Mari, who won three Grand Slams, the other, how many, 55, whatever, Grand Slams, has gone to three people. I lost many times to Novak in a, in a, in a Grand Slam where he went on and won it. I lost to Rafa. Uh, and I think that's one of the the things that also mentally was tough for me because my dream was to win a Grand Slam. And, and also the other thing was at one point where I start having the injuries, I start changing. I changed the way I worked. I tried to spend more time in the gym get bigger and that didn't help my game so I mean when I say get bigger it's stronger more muscular more muscular and it didn't help it didn't help I thought at that time that was the best way to to improve my injuries to improve my way of playing and because I'm a very stubborn guy I don't you know when I see something I want to do it 100% and I could hit the wall a lot of times until I realized that it's not and unfortunately that was the the second and biggest I think uh, I cannot say mistake because it's a decision that I took and I thought it was life. the best it's part of life and and I didn't do it by I did it by listening to an ex eight Grand Slam champion you, know, you understand what I mean which was my idol so so Andre had suggested yes, that maybe I mean you not Andre himself, but his team and, and everything, yeah. and and it kind of I believed for many years that that was the way, and then lately I realized that no, it's not the way. What, what, what did it change? You trying to be more muscular? What what was the problem with that? More weight, 
less explosive, less uh, 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 stiffer, which I was a very relaxed person on court. You yeah. know, I was my 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 difference was before I was very explosive, so I w- I would hit a forehand explosively, not with power. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it it took me back, and uh, and I think that was the 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 change of my career. But you know, I I I, I have no, I don't think it's a regret. You know, I think I learned from it. I also I think I didn't have maybe some people in my own country which I could trust. You know, that went through this experience that could help me yeah. that I could have discussions with and uh, I mean that's that's about it you know it's nothing too complicated it's very simple I took my decisions it didn't go the way I wanted it you can say I was unlucky you can say I, I did the wrong decisions you can say it's a mistake you can say whatever you want but I feel that that's that was a part of my life and I'm grateful still that I still had great moments, you know. You sure did, and uh, and that's what stays with me. And uh, I loved every moment of it, even if there were some tough moments. There were some moments where you had so many doubts. I cannot call it depression, but you know, loneliness. You know, you had that because of tour life, or because of tour life, because of traveling, because of just looking at a tennis ball, because of leaving home when I was 14 to achieve my dream without having parents that knew yeah. what is tennis, what is going on. I read some quotes from your dad that when he, when you went, obviously he said when, when you got to the final, it kind of was giving something back because he felt like he'd lost you as a teenager for a period of time. Yeah, I I spoke a lot with my father, you know, since I had kids, and uh, you know he he knows that he took a decision for me. He he doesn't regret it, but he lost a kid, you know, and I mean a kid. He lost his son at a very young age. Uh, the relationship with the son. And, you know, we had a blank moment with my parents, with my life, with my, you know, with my family. There was a blank moment, you know, where, where we were all lost in it. And But, you know, we all learned from it. We all uh, went through it together. We had lots of chats. And, and you know, like, uh, I think he took the right decision because he explained to me from a very young age to take responsibility of my life and and that's why today I have the life I have with three beautiful kids, with a lovely wife. There is so much positive out of what decision he took. It's not just about tennis. It's, it's about uh, having a, a, a great life. And he teach me that you know, there is only plan A, there is no plan B. And that's why I achieved, because I didn't have a plan B. If I had a plan B, I would always find excuses and go through through plan B. And, you know, and being... And I think I achieved what I achieved because of my plan A, because I had no other choice. There was just one way, and and I dealt with it as, as, as good as I can. Yeah. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, Marcus and I have just moved out the O2 Arena because they've decided to put the music on and we want to just uh, finish this chat um, in the, the nicest possible circumstances. I mean, it's, um, it's an amazing story. I mean, and I'm sure so many tennis players go through this situation with their families of, of when and how to try to make it. And obviously yours is more, is more extreme because you were from a country that didn't have a, a tennis infrastructure and background i mean it is pretty extraordinary that that you that you did what you did and you managed to achieve all you did thank you yes for sure i mean my 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 i achieved part of my dream i mean my dream was really to win a grand slam and be number one in the world and have you know more titles than i i have but i know where i come from I know what I've done to 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 be able to be here, and and to me, yes, it's it's a, it's special. It's something special. I think every player goes through his difficulties. I don't. Th- every difficulty is for me equal because it's a difficulty, and you know, some people can perform better, some people not, and. And that's the way life is, you know. And I think you have to accept it. You have to learn from what, from the lessons, from the because for me I don't call them losses. It's lessons. You learn from them, and try not to do the same mistakes twice. Because and I, I've I've learned that from a very young age when I went to Paris. It's my first coach in Paris. The first word he told me is, "You can do a mistake, but don't do it twice because it means you're stupid." And that was pretty clear, you know, like not to do the same mistake on court, off court, wherever, in, in life in general, not to do it twice. So my goal is to try and do that. Once you realize your mistake, not to do it again, so, or help others not to do it. And uh, that's, uh, that's uh, the best lesson I think I ever, I ever learned. Do you, do you ever watch back matches of yours or, or moments from your career I mean you mentioned you've got three young kids now as well um, I mean it's it's a lifetime of memories yes I mean I don't uh, I have a problem with that because, and I think it, it didn't help me throughout my career now that I think about it I never liked watching myself why is that? I don't know I never liked maybe lack of some confidence maybe I don't know I all, I all the time was very because I'm a perfectionist and very stubborn I I didn't like it I kind of every time saw something wrong about me and I couldn't take it I couldn't one, I didn't want to watch it maybe it would help me a bit if I watched more matches of me of uh, how to deal with players but I couldn't I just couldn't and yeah it's, it's very interesting yes it is and for me life is all about being happy honestly it's it's being happy have the self-discipline that you need to have to be able to achieve your goals but being happy being with a smile being 
waking up every morning and want to do the things that you're doing and and I lost that a bit in in the middle of my career and I but I found another way sorry by my by my family by doing a family which I always had I, I always wanted to have because I left home very young and I wanted to build a family of my own and be close to you know be loved in a way and uh, and you know I found my happiness which is for me the most important thing in life yeah a couple of other memories 4.34 a.m. in Australia you and Leighton Hewitt yes I mean what do you remember of finishing a match at 4.34 a.m.? I remember really going into the hotel uh, getting into the elevator and seeing other players going for breakfast I mean that's ridiculous like and they saw me and, and they told me what you went to early practice and I said no I, we just finished, because some people were sleeping you know they didn't stay up and some players were sleeping so they were all shocked and I remember that very I I have that image in my mind whenever we talk about that match uh yeah I mean yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre. Yeah, it's it? bizarre. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more you can say. Yeah, it's bizarre finishing and getting to the hotel at 7 a.m. I think it's very bizarre, yes. Uh, the, the other question that our listeners would not forgive us if we didn't ask is the four rackets that you smashed <laughs> on the court that day. Also in Australia, everything seemed to happen to you in Australia, um, which I, I watched that back again earlier today. And I mean... I felt very sorry for you in the moment. You know, you, you're, you're, you're so frustrated. You're playing Stan Wawrinka. And, well, what were your memories of it? Because, I mean, we often see players smash rackets. But, I mean, to sit there and smash four is quite, quite a lot. I lost it. I mean, I, I lost it completely. Uh, there is no explanation. And I, I said it before. It's one thing, honestly, I regret it because... I think that's not the image that you give out to young kids that idolize you or that want to be a professional tennis player and watch that match. But yeah, I mean, it's at least it, it was funny in some way, you know, but really that moment, I, I wasn't thinking straight. I... I completely went tactically. I I wasn't doing the right thing, and I knew it from the beginning of the match. And but I was keep on. I was keeping on doing it. And and uh, at one moment, I, I went uh, nuts with myself. And um, yeah. And uh, but it's something that I'm not proud of. Right. I mean, there was, there was a moment at the end where the crowd actually seemed to cheer, and Be- you, you seemed to smile as if. You'd suddenly thought, oh dear. No, it's like I realized what I've done. The crowd was asking for one more and I gave it to them for one more. <laughs> At least it went out in a, in a funny way, you know, yeah. like, but really I, I am not proud of that moment. Okay. But it's part of my life. It's something, it's a mistake or you can call it whatever uh, that I've done. Yeah. And I take it in a, again in a positive way and you know like I try to explain to every kid because there is a lot of people that tell, ah, this is a guy who broke four rackets and I'm like yeah but you know I'm not that guy you know I, I was that guy for a second or two uh, um, who was the toughest opponent you faced? Djokovic for me couldn't find the solution against him I was very close many times but he always found a way in a way that I always felt that he was on top of me. I always felt that. And, but with Rafa, no. With Roger, not. Because with Roger and Rafa, I all the time felt I had that chance. I have him. You know, I had him with Djokovic. I go out of the match and say, I don't have him, you know. It's, he was control of the matches, even if it's at five all in the fifth. I felt he was in control. And with the others, I felt that I was in control, but I didn't 
make it. You understand yeah. what I'm yeah, trying no, to I say? Totally yes. understand. And, and every player, I think, has somebody, don't they? Yeah. Even even you think about Federer with Nadal early yes. in the career. He was the man that caused him so many problems. Um, just a couple of final points, Marcus. I mentioned Stephanus, yes. Pants, who is somebody that is often kind of compared to you because of of the effect you have in, in, in that part of the world and I know you you know him pretty yeah. well what, yes. what, what do you think of Stefanos as a player and as a person as a person as a guy the guy for me is a genius he doesn't think like us in a way that he can analyze things in a different way I see a bit of Roger in him in his game and in his mind when I say mind on the court is the way he analyzes the matches not a lot of players can come out after a match and analyze so well and that's a a very I mean very strong you know how you say um, advantage that he has that's one thing The I mean two yeah one thing he has a complete game. I think he has very small things to improve. Maybe he slice a bit, his return, make more balls after a first serve. And his self-discipline and determination. I mean, he's at the level of Djokovic for me. And that's why he, at a very young age, and he can still improve that. And that's why for me he's where he is. Do you think he's going to be the next one to join these guys? I think he's the only one with him that have that mentality. And when I say that mentality to keep on winning slams throughout the years, for me, yes, I can say he's more complete than anybody else. And, uh, yeah, he's a special kid. He's really a special kid. I spent some time with him last year when he came to holidays in, in Cyprus a bit more to talk about you know, tennis I think he needs also to improve his out of the court life in what way? more friends, more relaxed you know, to to have a life outside court because at one point it can catch you, you know it can, it can catch you and and it can, you know be a difficult moment you know and I think he needs to sort to of overwhelm you almost because tennis is so big for him isn't it and yes he, he doesn't think about anything yeah. else it's tennis and nothing else which is an unbelievable thing but he doesn't think like us you know he, I mean I give you an example if he wins today what would most people do it's end of the year very important you go have a dinner, you, you drink a bit, you enjoy. Sure. He would maybe eat in the players' lounge and go sleep. It's a small example, you know, he doesn't think, he doesn't have this need yeah. that other people have. He went, he went on vacation, he told, I heard, he went on vacation on his own. Yes. And he just was with nobody, where yes. he didn't want to see anybody for 10 days. I mean, that's a quality to have, you know, not to have the need of of other people of other people it's not the people but of things it's for me it's it's a big quality you understand what I mean sure. because it's he, I don't know some people you know I, I'm just saying a 21 year old he wants to have a girlfriend or do something which is normal in life and if you want it and you don't have it it's not good you, you understand but sure. he doesn't maybe want it it's just an example I'm not saying yeah. he doesn't even want so he doesn't have this disappointment or that he doesn't have it and I think it's an unbelievable quality to have as a, as a professional tennis we, we, we always talk on this show as well about how he doesn't seem bothered about fitting in he's not he doesn't need to be with all the other guys and have their approval he's yes. happy to be himself yes and that's a huge quality to have and I think that, that's what makes him so special and 
it kind of makes his life easier on the court yeah. and uh, in the tennis world. Final point, Marcus. We, we I'll bring it back to the, the the ceremony yesterday, where you were standing with all your your colleagues, and and your career is is now at an end. And there's so many happy memories. What now? How do you feel about life now? I and mean, clearly, from the conversation we've had, you have three kids, you have a family, your wife. You you seem really happy, which is yes. great to see. Thank you. I have to say. Yeah. But what what else do you want out of life from now? Uh, I mean, I would like to do things in this sport, you know. Uh, maybe as a tennis coach, I would like to help my my federation back home. I have some projects in mind. And I would like to to stay in the, in the sport, you know, stay in the sport, give what the sport gave to me because it gave me something very special. It gave me the life I have today. And I want to give back uh, somehow, and uh, and uh, yeah, I mean that's that's the goal. Now, how exactly? I don't know yet. It's maybe you'll see me on tour next year. I don't know, but you know, I mean, it doesn't only depend on me. It depends on sure. the project and the people that want to work with me. And but really, I mean, I wanna I wanna keep being in this sport. And also, I mean, I spent three months with my wife and kids. And I can say it's been a long time and it's been an unbelievable three months of my life, you know. Taking them to school, you know, uh, okay, doing some things and then picking them up, doing some lunch, you know, being with them, taking my kids to, to, to tennis, playing with my daughter tennis before that she didn't want to play she wants to play only with me and you know it's a very nice feeling and I want to continue that and being able at the same time to combine to find the balance between family and then maybe traveling again which I think it's a very tough thing and and have the I mean I have the communication with my wife and we will decide together but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not clear exactly what I want to do, but definitely want to give back to the sport. And, I mean, I spent 16 years. We had an unbelievable ceremony with ATP yesterday. I want to thank them from the bottom of my heart because it's something. it was something very special. It was nothing big, but for me it was emotional seeing the all other players sharing their moments, my moments together in one of the best arenas we ever had our sport played and yeah, I mean and, and the, uh, thank the ATP for all these years, you know, from the medical, from the tour managers from the media from the social, uh, I mean the marketing, from ev- everything that they are done for me and for all the players helped us become who we are today from the conversations from the discussions from the fights sometimes I mean not fights but you know uh, how you call them disagreements disagreements you learn and they made me become who I am today they were part of my life and and yeah I mean I'm looking forward to my next step and uh, yeah it's lovely lovely to hear Marcus thank you thank you so happy to see you back here in the tennis world and whatever you do from here thank you for the memories and we wish you the very best of luck for the future thank you so much Dave thank you so there's Marcus hope you enjoyed that uh, I, I've i just listened to it again and I, I can't really get over how, how warm he is and how open he is and when Matt Roberts heard that interview a couple of days ago first thing he said to me was I, I just I listen to that and I just sort of want the best for him. And and I know exactly what he means. He's that kind of fellow. You just hope good things for him because he kind of gives off that vibe that he's hoping for the best for everybody else, which is a lovely quality, really. Um, I mentioned before the interview started there that he told me about the collaboration with Alina Svitolina that he's about to start in, in 2020. 
I, I was initially ho- fearful, I suppose, that that might mean that Andrew Bettles wasn't going to be part of the team anymore. That's since been confirmed that they're, they're going to work together because Andrew's clearly done a, an excellent job uh, with Svitolina so far. And what I said to Marcus, I, I was kind of curious as to what he felt he could bring to Svitolina's game. And, and my suspicion was and remains that it might help her to sort of free up. You hear, you hear how open Bagdatis is as a character. When he played, he played with just such a joy and he went for it. And I, I, t- I tend to feel like Svitolina tightens and becomes a little bit inhibited in the really big moments against the best players and they, they end up taking the initiative from her. So I think Bagdatis might just be able to let her, let the shackles go and produce her very best when it matters most. I mean, at least she can give that a try. She's she's had a fantastic career already. She's already won the WTA finals. She's reached the final again. But at the slams, for somebody of her ability, she will feel that there's still more to come. So we'll see. We'll see. But very best of luck to Marcus Bagdatis in the future, no matter what he does. I, I think he's just uh, just a great guy. And, uh, and I'm really chuffed that he was able to appear with us here on the Tennis Podcast. So that is the final edition of the show for 2019. It is our eighth year in production, our 623rd episode overall. Um, it's it's something we we continue to love to bring to you and we hope that you're enjoying it as well and we want to do more than ever in 2020 and to do so we need to fulfill our kickstarter our crowdfunding we're more than 70 percent funded so far Um, but if you want to pitch in do so we 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 appreciate it enormously Um, but regardless thank you for listening to this i wish you a very merry christmas and happy new year and we will be back in a few weeks from now 